The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize That they will never see the pee Yes, sir. We're right back at it. It's All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. I'm Brad Ward, ready to bring you another fabulous edition. We're going to dive into a terrific interview here tonight with a special guest, one and only Nick Shook from around the NFL, NFL.com. Answer all of our pressing questions from the Combine. He's fresh off of a trip to Indy and going to answer all those burning questions for us here tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland. Plus, we've got a couple other things to hit. Um, and uh, you start getting excited. Yes, sir. There it is. We're right back at it. All Eyes on Cleveland podcast. I am your host, Brad Ward. This is the fourth edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, Proud to bring you to here tonight as a special guest. As I already mentioned, Nick Shook uh, will join here momentarily. I'm excited to bring to you that interview. Uh, this is the show where we interview uh, the most influential, talented uh, personalities in all of the Cleveland sports landscape. Uh, you can catch all of our shows at iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, Radio.com and Google Play. Plus, we'll be published tomorrow morning. USA Today Sports Media Group's The Browns Wire.com, where I uh, write about our very own Cleveland Brownies. Uh, and uh, go check that out. Uh, right now, uh, you can go check that out. Uh, my guy, uh, Mac Robinson, with a nice piece over at brownswire.com to check out uh, as he was able to link about eight free agents uh, to Joe Woods, Brown's new defensive coordinator, that they could potentially go after in free agency. So with that, 
Um, you can check all of that out. Now, uh, on the uh, show here, uh, we have a website as well. Uh, you're going to go to www.alleyesoncleveland.com uh, where you can get show news, um, little uh, stories here, tidbits of this and that uh, about uh, the goings-on in uh, Cleveland sports uh, from yours truly. Um, and uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at all eyes on Clee. Now, every time I say eyes, and I have neglected to say this over the uh, past, and, and I blame this on Mikey. Uh, by the way, uh, Mikey on the ones and twos tonight behind the glass. Uh, thank you. Doing a good job, as always, sir. Tip of the cap. Uh, but yeah, so uh, all of the t- every time I say eyes in this show, so the title uh, of the show. All eyes on Cleveland. Uh, it's a Z. It's a Z. Yeah, like uh, like the kids would do it, right? Uh, all eyes with a Z uh, on Cleveland, uh, and that's certainly the case. And why? Part of the reason that uh, I named the show that, um, and uh, um, had another show named that uh, as well a couple years back, uh, and I thought I wanted to revisit that. Um, Format where we would be interviewing uh, influential uh, guests week in, week out on the hot topics, uh, the goings on in Cleveland sports. So that's uh, what we do on this show. And uh, just to recap quickly, uh, week one was uh, Garrett Bush of 92.3 The Fan, then uh, Jonathan Peterlin of 92. Point three, the fan, and then uh, Sir Yacht last week, and I hope you enjoyed that. He was hilarious. Uh, played some of his uh, uh, music. My personal favorite, Kawhi's a psycho, uh, and uh, yeah. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. He is he's definitely a talented guy, uh, and uh, glad to have him on. Have him back again, as I think he was a hit. Um, so tonight, though, uh, you hear him all the time on the airwaves in Cleveland, uh, uh, Nick Shook, uh, and he, uh, writes for Around the NFL, which you can follow on Twitter, at Around the NFL, um, and then you can, um, catch him, his very own, uh, handle, uh, which we'll joke about here in the interview, uh, but uh, his own handle, the uh, the Nick Shook at the Nick Shook uh, on um, Twitter, the Twitter machine. So uh, if you're cranking up the, the the Twitter machine, and you know, then uh, you can get on there and and uh, check that out. Uh, all of uh, Nick Shook's a tremendous writer. Uh, tremendous uh, I could listen to him all day his ability uh, to evaluate talent is terrific uh, and uh, always enjoyed him as he when he comes on uh, uh, Cleveland Browns daily um, with those guys he is a part of a uh, 
podcast, the best podcast available where you can get the same outlets with that. So, you know, Nick is everywhere. Nick is a terrific writer and a terrific reporter. Um, And uh, we were actually blessed to have him, uh, you know, focused on Cleveland for that period of time. Now, he is he loves he loves the Maulers. He loves the big boys. He loves the uh, he is an offensive line guru uh, and he knows his stuff uh, about the offensive uh, line uh, both sides of the trenches though uh, but yeah he knows knows his stuff very well and uh, technique and everything and when he gets to breaking it down uh, it's uh, good stuff now you know uh, for a lot of people that have it might be whoop right over the head, you know, but uh, that's all right. Uh, you just, uh, I enjoy listening to him talk about it. Um, and he's, uh, uh, as he kind of uh, understands uh, that stuff with the uh, offensive line to a different level. And, and you've got a new run. I mean, it's not, when we say, when we talk about Kevin Stefanski's you know, wide zone run scheme that we're going to see. Um, and he, he'll talk about that this a little bit in here. And I even neglect to say it in the interview. He kind of corrects me on it. But, you know, everybody runs a little bit of this. Uh, it's just that it's a staple of the run game for the Kubiak uh and Stefanski style you know we saw the same offense in Cleveland with Kyle Shanahan or a version of it uh and uh, you know all year this year uh as that same uh zone run scheme demolished the Browns uh on their performance against the uh Super Bowl runner-ups uh 49ers so um yeah i mean it's it takes a uh it takes a different development along that offensive line you just can't have guys right you got to have guys that can move and one of the best things about this interview is that he'll get into that he'll break that down for us uh and, and go over it uh kind of a little bit of uh, you know there there's the four there's the four, you know, heavy hitters along uh, the first uh, ten picks uh, or so that we expect to see come off the board when it comes to offensive tackle, um, and that is where the Browns are looking. Um, what could happen at ten? You never know. Uh, could they need to move up? Could they be presented with a scenario where they feel like they could move back and still get one of those four guys? Um, that's a, that's a different story. I mean, that's where it gets tricky, and they're going to have to make uh, the call on that. It's weird, and uh, you know what? I'll save my comments on that for after the interview because we do talk about it a little bit when we come back. Uh, I'm just going to go through a couple things here uh, with uh, the Browns, and then we'll get you up and out of here uh, for a uh, All Eyes on Cleveland uh, edition uh, and uh, with our very uh, special guest, Nick Shook, 
very gracious with his time um, to come on the show and talk about uh, everything. So everything that he uh, encountered in Indianapolis, he's got some good stories. He kind of talks about his experience there. This was his third trip to the NFL Pro Scouting Combine uh, in Indianapolis uh, and uh, was able to, we were able to get him timed it up perfectly right here fresh off that trip uh, and uh, get him uh, on the airwaves with us, uh, find out what he saw, what he thinks about uh, those top prospects, uh, especially those tackles and some other scenarios as we do get into free agency, uh, you know, how the Browns are going to fill uh, the holes that they do have. Um, and uh, we will uh, do that now. As without any further ado, uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, the podcast. Uh, you can listen to it where all popular podcasts are found. I am Brad Ward, your host, and this is the interview that I did uh, just today with uh, Nick Shook, a writer at Around the NFL uh, for NFL.com. And we welcome to the show tonight uh, on All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, the one and only Nick Shook, writer at Around the NFL. Uh, You can follow him uh, on Twitter at the Nick Shook. Is that right? The Nick Shook. Yeah, that's that's right. It, It wouldn't be the if the actual person who has at Nick Shook would just give me at Nick Shook, but... In a uh, desperate plea to get that years ago, he blocked me. So that's uh, that's a lot. Oh my cause. gosh! I was going to say you've had some trouble with that. I I, I can tell in your voice. Yeah, I've uh, I worked on the brand. You know, I was trying to work on the brand. Got probably six or seven years ago, and uh, let's just say we couldn't come to terms in an agreement. That's unfortunate for uh, for uh, yeah. That's that's too oh, bad. Man. But uh, I like I actually like it at the Nick Shook. I like that. It's pretty good. I like it. I think, it's, I think it's a little pretentious, but we'll go with it. Yeah, it's, it's, it suits you just fine. You're, it's good. Um, so I listen to you all the time, Nick. I'm a big fan. Uh, as you know, you, you, you know, you're you very kind with your time. You've helped me out before with articles I've done at the com, where this show will be uh, published tomorrow morning. So um, the USA Today Sports Media Group, and and uh, so I appreciate you doing that before, and then now I get you on the show finally. So thank you so much for making time. I know you're a busy man. Yeah, no doubt, no problem at all. I, I mean, I, every time I turn on the radio, I, I'm hearing you because you're, you're on. You got you know you got the best uh, podcast available, right? And uh, uh, and, and you're on uh, every day, Browns Daily. You're not every day, but you know often on Browns Daily, right? So. Well, yeah, I was, you know, I was when I was with the team, definitely. Now. I'm on Browns Daily occasionally now, but yeah, definitely when I was with the team, uh, it, was, it was definitely a, not to use the same term, but it was a near daily uh, experience there. So it was yeah. all good. Yeah. Uh, and now you're uh, working for Around the NFL, correct? Yep, that is correct, under uh, NFL.com. Yeah, and how and how is that going for you? you enjoying the uh, position change? Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, you know, it's where I was before I was with the Browns, actually. Uh, the only difference now is 
I'm uh, I, before I was uh, kind of a newsroom employee who was writing as well. And then um, once I moved to the Browns and then came back to the NFL, uh, I no longer work in Los Angeles. I work out of Cleveland. Uh, we're covering the entire league. And, you know, I'm at the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl, the Combine, all that kind of stuff. So out and about doing the whole thing, doing all 32 teams. And it's kind of back in my wheelhouse where I was uh, before I'd gone to the Browns. So it's uh, it's all great. It's very good. Very good. So I'm going to ask you mostly Browns questions here tonight, though, uh, as uh, you know, it is the show is all eyes on Cleveland. So uh, let's start, let's start with the uh, combine. And I know that you had to have loved this combine from from just uh, listening to you and knowing your expertise with the offensive line. Uh, what a showing from these uh, offensive linemen at the combine, right? Yeah, definitely. The tackle position is extremely strong. Uh, you saw great workouts. Well, you saw a great 40 out of Mackay Becton uh, from Louisville. You saw great all-around workouts from guys like Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills. Uh, there were some additional players like Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, Matt Pert from Connecticut, Colt McKivitz from West Virginia, and then uh, other guys like uh, Austin Jackson from USC, who I think is kind of an intriguing under-the-radar prospect. Not a first-round pick, but somebody that another team might get on day two. Uh, who could come in and potentially start with the right coaching and tutelage and uh, in, improvement, and uh, and a few other guys as well. So definitely a strong class, and the Browns are in perfect position, I think, because they need a tackle, and this is a very deep class at that position. Yeah, so that that brings me to my next question. You know, they sit there at ten. Uh, there's kind of would you agree that there's just the there's the four names that are like the premier tackle names. Ben yeah, Beckton, I think, Thomas, I think, Wirfs, and Wills. Yeah, 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 I would agree with that. Um, okay. Didn't get as, as good of a feel for Thomas, um, but the other three, yeah, I, I think. Now, it's funny because when you went through some of the mock drafts before the combine, which has happened a lot, but I thought it was really funny this year, you saw a lot of the offensive linemen who were projected to go to certain spots who might have position changes, that kind of thing. Once they put out their workouts, it was like everything changed in the mocks, and all of a sudden you had four or five tackles going to the first ten picks, which a huge early run on tackles. So the Browns are uh, – they might need to move up to get the guy they want, but they might also luck out and get a very solid tackle at number ten if they decide to stay put. Luckily, this is a draft where you're not going to need to move up into the top two or three to get a you know potential franchise tackle, uh, left tackle ideally because there are so many good ones. So they, they showed out, and I think the Browns are in a good spot to uh, finally address that position, which they haven't done since Joe Thomas left. Yeah, right. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah comes out with his uh, – <laughs> right after the combine, he's got four tackles in the first ten. So yeah, exactly. And it's funny because – he had he had mentioned some of these other guys, um, even uh, a guy like Wirfs. He was like, well, I thought, you know, I had to move into guard, but this workout, you really can't argue with these this athleticism numbers. Yeah, his arms are a little short for a tackle, and, and his film showed some pressure issues, but um, it's things that can be – you can't correct arm length, obviously, but you can correct his form and stuff like that in, in pass protection. So it was funny because he was kind of like blown away. You could hear him almost in the broadcast because I'm in the stadium, but I have the TV feed in my ear as well. And uh, and you can just kind of hear him in the broadcast, kind of marveling and, and having his opinion changed in real time as he's walking, yeah. watching these guys work out. I mean, they really were a sight to see. A lot of their footwork and some of these drills are just – they were so smooth, you could tell from two decks up in the stadium. I mean, you can, the second level of suites, you could tell, uh, you know, how good these guys were performing and how different they were than the rest of those around them. So, again, like I said, you know, it's it's a really good spot for the Browns to be in. Yeah, so uh, back to that spot at 10. So – 
it, it is a good spot. You know, say so they sit there with four, you know, potentially, as you said, maybe uh, starting, you know, hopefully plug and play type tackles, which is their need or one of their biggest needs, but many would probably say it is their biggest need. Um, and, uh, but, but what if, is there a scenario, Nick, where that it doesn't work out? Like, uh, for example, you were kind of, you, you named the three and you're kind of like, oh, I don't know as much on Thomas or whatever. Is there one where they're like, okay, we really like these three and they're gone or, and, and they they don't want to just settle. It's, how can you settle for a fourth tackle at number 10? At some point you just say, wait a minute, that, that's not, you know, I mean, this isn't right. Uh, we need to go best player available here and, and forget the need to tackle for the moment. Is there a scenario like that where you could see them going in a different direction at times? Only if something crazy, I think, happened in front of them. They're obviously not in the quarterback market right now, and right. you're going to guess that at least two, maybe three quarterbacks go off the board in front of them. So that means you got seven more spots, well, six more spots to battle with. If four of those six are, are tackles and or three of those six, that means another really good prospect, another position might fall to you. Now, I know everybody in Cleveland is in love with Isaiah Simmons because of his right. combine workout and his 4-3-9-40. I'm not – I mean, he's a supreme athlete. And, and that can't be denied. I do worry about some of the things that he's going to have to adjust to at the pro level. Uh, I would not be somebody who would want to move to get him. If he fell to you at 10, I would consider it. But I also think you have – it really comes down to what do you value more, protecting your quarterback with a rookie who you're going to put a lot on his plate or trying to get better at another position with a guy that you valued pretty highly who fell to you. Now, that sounds like I'm putting it backwards because if I'm the Browns, I take a tackle no matter what but it just depends on how much you value the tackle position. We all know there's a shortage of, of effective offensive linemen in the NFL. The Browns lucked out two seasons ago when Greg Robinson played well off the bench. They were, were brought back to reality when Greg Robinson became Greg Robinson again last year. Mm-hmm. Chris Hubbard is probably making too much money for the level of play that he's at. Yeah, good dude. He's a guy that I like personally, but uh, the money only goes up. Well, a lot of the, the guaranteed, a lot of the guaranteed money is gone, but they could cut bait with him and not, take a huge cap hit on him. So I think that's another area where they can maybe see some a new face. And honestly, you even have to consider guards, but that you can do in, in the second round. So at 10, it just matters to you how much does that tackle position mean to you. If you value it with a first-round pick, a top-10 pick, which is what most teams would, especially with the shortage of linemen, then you got to go that route no matter uh, who else might be uh, tempting at other positions. No question. Yeah, I agree. So uh, – uh, you're listening to uh, All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast, a uh, special guest tonight on the show, uh, Nick Shook, uh, writer for Around uh, the NFL. Uh, and you can check out the show. Go to the uh, handle on Twitter at Around the NFL for NFL.com and uh, follow Nick at the Nick Shook on Twitter. Um, so, of those four guys, and, you know, taking into account, I'm sure. Uh, that you did take into account in your evaluations, you know the new uh, schematic, schematically what the Browns are going to be doing off on offense with uh, uh, Stefanski and the new uh, wide zone run uh, scheme. And, and do you have a favorite of those four that would fit that, Nick? Uh, my two favorites because I didn't get to see Beckton's footwork drills because he only ran his forty and that was it. 
Uh, I still have to watch more of his tape to really get a good idea of what he excels at. But of the guys who work down the field, it's Wills and it's worse. Worse okay. because they are both just so smooth laterally, front and back. Uh, and, and Wills really shined in in the drill where they had him. You know, they they have you shuffle back and forth laterally, and it's basically designed to burn your legs out and make you stand up because you can only maintain a powerful position. It engages your quads, and if you're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth at a high rate of speed or you know, exerting a lot of force, you're eventually going to get tired and you're going to start, your form's going to start to suffer. You're going to start to stand up. Well, Will's never stood up. I mean, the coach tried to burn him out just back and forth and back and forth, and he was solid all the way through. Huh. And, and that, to me, you know, was really impressive. But more to fit Stefanski's scheme, which he takes a lot of that from, you know, Gary Kubiak, who he worked alongside in Minnesota. And we know all right. the history of uh, Gary Kubiak's success in the places he's been. Um, I think it's a guy like Worfs. Uh, Worfs would be my favorite. Wills would be a close second just because they're so smooth laterally. They're so natural. And, and, you know, those are some big dudes. They're moving around a lot of weight. And when a guy really moves smoothly and when it really just looks so comfortable and so natural, I'm, I have a really hard time uh, going for anybody else, any other mauler or anybody else, just because the scheme is predicated on athletic, laterally quick, offensive lineman who can move at an angle that it's kind of like a scooping motion where you kind of curve up field. And as you curve up field, you have to be able to engage and hit somebody with power and also maintain your block, which requires maintaining a good base. And a lot of guys are not naturally capable of doing it. It's a pretty rare thing. That's yeah. why when you, you know, I talked to Joe Thomas about this before. He says, you know, basically nowadays when you're going to look at the tackle position, you're looking at basketball players, guys who used to be supreme athletes in other sports as well basketball players who are long, who are agile, who are athletic, who are very natural, who can slow with the offense because you have to be able to do that to move laterally upfield to keep up with the speed uh, and the power of defensive linemen, the speed of uh, linebackers, and even get to the third level and try to take down a defensive back if you can get, you know, if you're so lucky to be that successful. So that, those are two my guys, my two guys in that group who really, really stood out. They were, they were the right and left tackle on my all-kind mind team. I put Wills right tackle because he played right tackle in college mostly because Tua Tagovailoa is a left-handed quarterback, so he was protecting Tua's backside. He could very well play left tackle as well, and I think they're both very well fit, very well suited to step right into that offense. Um, so just uh, for our listeners and everything, and, and I had somebody describe this to me once, uh, Nick, uh, when I was asking kind of about this scheme, right, that we're going to see the Browns run this year. And we well, we, see, we saw them run it before, right, you know, uh, so – uh, just a, a few years back with Shanahan or, or uh, you know, a version of it, right? Um, but uh, as far as the running game goes, it, you know, it, you kind of explained what it calls on, calls for from the offensive linemen, but it, it somebody ex- described it as basically snapping and, and almost like sprinting to one sideline or the other. Can you kind of uh, elaborate on that or kind of explain what it's going to be you know, what we can expect uh, this to look like a little bit from uh, an offensive line point of view? Well, yeah, we've, you know, we have seen, you'll see a lot in most offenses. It's a pretty common concept these days. It's not super exotic. Uh, It was at the time, probably 25 years ago in the mid-90s, the Broncos did a really good job of it. That's why the Broncos had so many no-name, you know, breakout (laughs) rushers that followed Terrell Davis. Uh, It was because of the scheme defenses eventually catch up to it and there's a certain way to play against it. But as an offensive lineman, it's not so much sprinting because sprinting implies that you're trying to run as fast as you can. And it's not really how you're moving. What you're moving is 
you're kind of taking a, a, a angle. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily call it 45 degrees because it's not a straight angle. It's kind of like a curved upward. If yeah. you're looking at like a line graph or whatever, and you see the curve kind of go up, you're kind of taking that path upfield. And what your responsibilities are is first man to cross your face is the guy you engage because what what they're trying to do is create a flow of offensive line up offensive lineman upfield. And the running back aims for the outside hip of the tackle on like a stretch run, for example. He'll aim for the outside hip of the tackle, but he's keeping his eyes inside because what this type of scheme typically does, it's designed to do is if one guy doesn't keep contain or doesn't win his point of leverage, you know, tries to stay uh, on the front side of a play, it'll create, or he over-pursues, it'll create a cutback lane. And that's where the big runs come from zone running schemes, which is why yeah. Nick Chubb fits so well into it because he's a one-cut back. So you need athletic linemen who can move laterally and vertically at the same time at a good speed but are also strong enough, powerful enough, and, and have good enough feet to keep a decently wide base so that when they do come into contact with someone, they're not off balance and they're not knocked over. Instead, they're doing the knocked over, knocking over, or they're going to engage that guy and ride him downfield, uh, you know, making a really good block and creating a crease for your running back. So you have to have athletic guys. You can't have the big, fat, slow linemen of previous generations because – it just won't work in this offense, and I think you're going to get one of those guys if you if you uh, luck out in this draft to tackle. Yeah, uh, I could uh, uh, listen to you talk about that all day, uh, Nick. But <laughs> I won't do that to our listeners. I don't know if they're as intrigued about the uh, uh, you know step by step aspect of it, but some sometime I will uh, certainly pick your brain more on that. Um, but uh, along the lines of uh, other uh, positions with the Browns and where things stand at this point, um, what would you say, Nick, is the uh, the Browns' next biggest need after offensive line? And, and when I say, you know, we're talking offensive line, we're not just talking one player, right? I mean, we, really, they ultimately may have to replace three starters and let, you know, we know how the NFL is with depth and whatnot. Um, and injuries. So certainly they're going to need a number of offensive linemen. Um, well, let's 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 do that. After offensive linemen, what do you what do you think is their next biggest need? I'm I mean, obviously I'm partially offensive line, um, yeah. but we're going to go to the defensive side of the football uh, yeah. because I think you it's kind of a battle between these two groups. I think everybody's going to know what I'm going to say here. It's either linebacker or it's safety. It's really a numbers game, though, and I'm, I'm going to point to safety because Demarius Randall's not going to be there, and Morgan Burnett is coming off of a, a torn Achilles, and at his age, that's a very difficult injury to come back to, come back from. Now, Richard Sherman did do that recently, but Richard Sherman's kind of a longer athlete, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if Morgan Burnett's able to, as well as they got most of that money out of the way in that contract, as well, so they can cut bait with him if they want to. So you're looking at one, maybe two safety replacements. Now you have Sheldrick Redwine on the roster from last year, a third-round pick out of Miami. Started to show some promise late in the year, got a lot of reps, really got thrown to the fire. He naturally plays himself out of position a little bit because he's just, he's just an aggressive guy, uh, you know, a, a solid hitter and has a nose for the football, but every once in a while it gets him into trouble position-wise. And you could see him kind of learn as, he, as the season went on, the, the latter portion of the season, how to not do that. But uh, he's going to be, you know, in a new defense again now. So he's going to have to learn. Basically, everybody's going to have to learn this new system. But it does help that he got those reps under his belt. So maybe he comes in and can, and can fill one of those roles for you. But you still got to avoid at least at one of those roles. So I think safety is a huge uh, area of need for them. I'm not sure which direction they'll go. I don't know who they prefer in terms of body types. Uh, the two guys that I picked for my team 
for the All-Combine team were uh, Antoine Winfield, Jr., a guy who's got roots in Northeast Ohio. His dad grew mm-hmm. up in Akron, went to Garfield High School. Uh, you know the rest of that story. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other kid is Kyle Duggar from Lenore Rhine, which is a small school, oh, but he's yeah. a pretty big kid, big kid, a uh, big favorite, Daniel Jeremiah, as, as you had mentioned before. Had a solid workout. Needs to clean some things up on the field. His on-field workout wasn't the best, but his measurables were, you know, fantastic as expected. So I think he's a guy who could get up to speed in the NFL, might have a little bit more of an adjustment period, but has a high ceiling and uh, could fill that role for the Browns. They could go with one of those two guys. They could go in a number of different directions, but I think they do need to find a way to address the safety position. And let's face it, it's not just the draft. You know, we have free agency coming up in two weeks, and the Browns are going to be working with a good amount of cap space especially depending on what they do with Olivier Vernon's contract situation. Yeah, he's under contract, but I can't imagine they would pay him the number that he's at right now. So restructure or cut, whatever they're going to do there, they could save all the money if they cut him uh, mm-hmm. that he's due this year. I think it's fifteen five or something like that this year. So, uh, But safety is number one. And then linebacker number two, if you're going to let Joe Schobert walk, you got to fill that out. Luckily, you drafted a stud in Mac Wilson. Doesn't play middle linebacker, but it's going to be in that linebacking core. And there's also an opportunity for Sione Takitaki to take the next step. He was taking second string reps in the position that Schobert was in last year during training camp. So maybe, you know, he can step up, but I still think that's a need as well. Yeah. So uh, that's where I was going to go next actually here was uh linebacker and, and I'll come back to safety with that in a second about free agency. But um, uh, as far as linebacker goes, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit concerned, obviously, uh, Joe Schubert, um, you know, they're going to – they don't want to pay him double-digit million dollars is basically the quote that came out. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I did some research and kind of from what I could figure out, and Nick, you can tell me if you disagree. I think he's going to get paid a pretty high number. I don't see him coming back. I I would be surprised if I, – I wouldn't be surprised if he got, you know, um, upwards over 13 a year. Uh, maybe you know close to 15. I mean, if you just look at the market and and what some of these guys are making, when you you know you look at like you you know your Quan Alexanders and you know Miles Jacks and whatnot whatnot, and, and it's it's a kind of a thin class too, you know, um, with just him and Littleton there at the top. Uh, you know, there's some other guys and, and stuff, but I just have a feeling he's probably going to get paid too big of a number that we, you know I don't think the Browns will see him coming through the door again anytime soon with his tail between his legs. I think he's going to get what he wanted uh, as far as money goes. You know, do you think Sione Takitaki can fill that role? Or I mean, I just feel like um, – and then how do, you, how do you fill that role if you're the Browns? I mean, certainly you let him walk with the intention of, Nick, uh, you know, saving money, but – also, you got to find a, you got to find another young stud somewhere uh, to put with Mac Wilson, right? And you actually got to find like two, um, really. And uh, they just don't have that. The number numbers wise, there and at safety, it's kind of scary hole wise. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, how would you attack that? You know, via free agency, do you take a flyer on a younger guy that you know? in this contract here that, hey, you like what he did here. Maybe he fits your scheme better than where he was. Um, you know, uh, I was looking at a guy like, uh, like uh, what's his name, Reggie Raglan. Is, Rob, is that how you say his name, Raglan? Yeah, yeah, Raglan. Um, yeah. I mean, he's a young guy that I don't think would command anywhere near the money that 
that uh, Schubert was going to come in, but maybe he could step in and play play a role. I mean, how do you attack this? this they kind of put themselves in a tough spot here. Yeah, they did. Um, I think it's really just a matter of how much they value or don't value Joe Schobert, and I think that you describe that market very well. Uh, you know, it is it is thin. Corey Littleton's a stud. Corey Littleton's going to get paid yeah. when he wants to get paid, and I think people are going to look at Schobert's numbers and say, yeah, I think we're going to pay you. A team that's really in need that's got that cap space is probably going to pony up for him, but the thing is, is I don't know if he's worth that kind of money, that number that you described. Uh, you know, I don't either. I don't as somebody either. who, as somebody who's <laughs> watched him play, I like him. You know, I like him as, as yeah. you know the the person who he is. I, I think he's good dude, um, and he's got a natural uh, nose to the ball. I mean, he's got good ball skills. We saw that last year. He had a lot of game changing turnovers, whether it was an interception or a fumble recovery or whatever it might be. He's got a natural knack for that. But there were a lot of times where he was not there to make the tackle. He's not a run stuffer. He's a, I'm going to make the tackle four or five yards down the field kind of guy and rack him up that way. And I just don't think you pay that kind of guy the big time money. So I think they're going to let him walk. Somebody else is going to pay him that with the understanding or they'll soon learn that that's the kind of guy he is. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, he's still a a very good, a good, very good linebacker. I just don't think that he's worth that money. And I think the Browns are probably wise in not paying him. Uh, it's just I don't know how they're going to go about it. That's why I mentioned Taki Taki because they they drafted him last year, but it's a different regime now, and it's a different you know defensive scheme as well. Not not in terms of four three or three four, but just a different coach. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that they had put Taki Taki at that position last year because if you watch his tape at BYU, he's kind of in multiple positions. But I thought he was most successful as a Sam, not as a Mike. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe they're going off of his you know, explosiveness and his lateral speed and his ability to get downhill to the ball as, as making him more of a Mike. I thought he handled the, the uh, responsibilities better as camp went on. And then you kind of didn't hear from him because he was mostly a special teamer, but mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe he's prepared for it. We'll find out, or it's going to be a point of weakness for them. Um, you know, they don't have a ton of capital to work with in terms of trades. Uh, the free agent class is thin, the linebacking core. There are some guys, in this draft, I do like uh, Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma and Patrick Queen are two guys I was really excited to see mm-hmm. work out. Then they both tweaked their hamstrings wearing their 40s, so I didn't get to see them work out. <laughs> uh, Michael Divinity was another kid I thought was very good. Obviously, Isaiah Simmons was good as well. Uh, so those are two, you know, those are four guys that you know you could consider, but Simmons won't be there by the time they pick. And I don't know if you necessarily spend that first pick on a linebacker. I would still go tackle there, but there are some opportunities potentially early in the second round. Maybe you move around a little bit to go get one of those guys. There are some good middle linebackers in this class. So you could go through the draft, but it is a risk. But so is paying Joe Schobert a ton of money. So not really a a clear path, an easy way out, uh, no matter what, for them at this position. Yeah, no, I I mean, I totally agree with you that I I kind of get get where the Browns are coming from. I, I wouldn't want to pay him that kind of money, but at the same time, I just have a feeling he's going to be able to get it someplace else. So, um, the, uh, as, and then as, you know, as far as attacking, you know, those holes in the linebacker, um, you know, you mentioned second round pick, third round pick, maybe, right. Um, you see, do you see them probably bringing in guy? I mean, you might just have to bring in a bunch of guys, right? Like you might just have to bring in some some free agents, draft a couple guys, and, and see what you get. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I would I wouldn't as... overspend on the position necessarily. Um, yeah, like by flooding it. 
But even last year, they did sign some guys. I mean, they they signed Darius Taylor last year, and he didn't yeah. really get to see the field that much. I mean, they did make some moves like that in that regard. I, I would expect them to bring in a couple bodies and a couple, yeah. you know, probably maybe a draft a guy, sign a guy, see what happens. Uh, and kind of, you know, like the running back by committee thing, maybe you go line, middle linebacker by committee until you figure something <laughs> out. But they do have good linebackers on the other side of them. So it's not yeah. like it's a massive uh, weakness, but, you know, middle linebacker is obviously important. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you're listening to Nick Shook, uh, writer for Around the NFL, NFL.com. And uh, um, you can often hear him on uh, your airwaves here in Cleveland uh, on uh the best podcast available, uh, and uh, also uh, sometimes on uh, Cleveland Browns Daily, uh, certainly uh, a guest on there a lot. Uh, Nick, um, back to safety real quick. So I've always kind of contended that they would uh, approach safety um, in free agency more than in the draft just because I don't think you want to have uh, a bunch of rookies starting at, at safety uh, on your defense. But uh, would you agree with that? Uh, and then, you know, in free agency, I know everybody talks about Anthony Harris, right? Um, and I know there's some other names like Jimmy Ward that are going to be on the open market. What are your thoughts on uh, how they would approach safety? I, I you know you talked about red wine already. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be ready, at least in my opinion. I don't, I don't know if he'll be ready to start. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, a guy that I would love the Browns to go after, but they're never even going to get a chance is Justin Simmons from Denver. He's an absolute stud, but he's not mm-hmm. going to make it out of Denver. They're not going to let him walk. Harris, uh, it'll be interesting because you, you, nobody really knew who he was until this past season. It obviously, he had a great year. Uh, in the perfect time, of course, to cash in as a free agent. But um, I'm not so certain about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you go kind of down the list, you got guys like Devin McCourty, who I don't really see leaving New England, especially after, you know, uh, right. Ian Rathport reported today that uh, the, the Patriots are going to pick up the option on his brother's contract, which will make it more likely that he returns to play since they're both near the end of his career, but you never know. Von yeah. Bell, former Ohio State guy uh, who played in New Orleans, he's also yeah. going to be out there. Uh, and New Orleans doesn't have the cap space to keep guys like him uh, because they're too busy trying to figure out their quarterback situation and, and as well yeah. trying to way to uh, retain Andres Pete, which I don't know if that's going to happen either. Uh, Jimmy Ward, like you said, another guy who um, I think would fit in well. If they want to spend to the position, they can go after him. Uh, I would support that. Another guy that's really interesting to me is HaHa Clinton Dix. Just because he went, you know, he, he went – from Green Bay, you know, on a one-year deal, and now he's out there again, and and there hasn't been a big effort to retain him. So it's like, you know, basically the Packers and uh, and and the Bears, or you know, the Redskins, you know, you know what I'm saying. But anyways, uh, yeah, you know, it, he's a guy who can go play and who has experience, who you kind of know what you're gonna get. You wonder what kind of money he's gonna get. He's looking to get a big deal. Uh, of course, anybody who has free agency is looking to get a big contract. But you do wonder about him. It's funny because I look at, like, the top 101 free agents list that we have on NFL.com done by uh, Greg Rosenthal and Chris Westling. Two guys with uh, excellent knowledge of the league, of course. And they've got Demarius Randall and HaHa Clinton-Dix two places apart. Now, oh my gosh. in my interaction with Demarius Randall, I liked, I always liked him personally. He always gave me time. He was always respectful and, and, and knowledgeable. Um, I know the Browns front office that was there soured on him and I know he kind of had a season that you would want to forget this year it was a mix of injuries and he just didn't wasn't there to make the plays everybody's going to point to 
you know, Matt Breida's opening touchdown run against San Francisco. And, well, he played himself at, right out of position. He, you know, he didn't have a pursuit angle that was good, all this and that, you know, whatever. That was one of the fastest runs in the entire league, according to next gen stats. <laughs> okay? Like, no one's going to catch him, right? Yeah. So don't hold that against him. But I know he's not going to be back, but I wouldn't worry about that type of ranking between Clinton Dix and Demarius Randall because I think they're both quality players. So if you saw yeah. somebody like that come in, I don't think there's any reason to start burning down buildings in Cleveland or any, for any reason. But there are some options. Uh, free agency wise, and you don't want two guys back there who are young, unless that guy back there is a stud and an absolute plug and play day one starter. I don't know if that guy's necessarily in this draft unless you want to move Isaiah Simmons back there, and I wouldn't move Isaiah Simmons back there. Um, so it's gonna, it's kind of it's an interesting situation uh, how they go about it, but they do have a number of avenues they could take at the position. Yeah, it's tricky. So, you know, just as the Browns as a whole here, and we'll kind of uh, wind things down. I've taken enough of your time here tonight. Thank you. <laughs> outstanding. Uh, so I appreciate uh, uh, all of the time that you've made for us here on All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, but, uh, you know, they've got all these, got these holes that we've kind of pointed out here on defense. Um, they've got uh, – you know, wide receiver, uh, they're going to go into, you know, the off-season program without their two studs again. And, you know, really, I don't think, Nick, that they can waste any time throwing balls all off-season to guys that aren't going to be on the roster again. Uh, I mean, what a waste, right? I mean, so – how do they approach this with the wide receivers on the offensive side of the ball? How would you do it? I mean, I just, I just look back to last year and I'm like, what a waste! Look at those, look at those preseason games, like the uh, in Tampa where, I mean, it was just basically a glorified tryout for wide receivers, and none of them ended up contributing or being here, right? I so mean, how many, how many of those guys can you name off the top of your head? None right now. <laughs> there's like there's uh there's I think he's in the XFL or no he finished the season with Tampa Bay. Ishmael Hyman was one of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, J- uh, Jalen Strong, who has since retired from football and is yeah. in the marijuana business now. Yeah. Um, God, who else is out there? Uh, Derek Willies was another yeah. one that you could think of. Uh, I mean, we could go down the list there. And yeah, you know what? You're right. I know. I know where exactly where you're going with this question. Uh, don't be surprised to see uh, Jarvis and maybe Odell around in the off-season program. I'm not guaranteeing it because Odell has been known to not participate in OTAs, which obviously drew the ire of everybody in Cleveland last year. I don't think it's honestly that big of a deal, but I do think organizationally everybody who still remains in Cleveland got a rude awakening last year when they realized that they were not on the same page you know, Jarvis told me down at the Pro Bowl that he was hurt the entire season. We all found out Odell was hurt in the preseason. Yeah. Uh, they never had the time to get on the same page because they were battling through injuries, but they also didn't spend that time in the off season or in you know before it was mandatory to get on the same page. And I just think that there's kind of this sense among those guys, probably Baker included, they all got that rude awakening and realized, hey, we're really going to have to put the work in here because time is suddenly running short. Suddenly it's make or break. There is no room for error, really, especially, uh, I think, on Baker's part. And uh, they're going to have to put together, uh, you know, as much time and as much work together as possible, a lot more than they did last year. You know, I think this team you're going to see, and you've already kind of seen it from Stefanski and Barry so far, this is going to be more of a buttoned-up organization. At least I mm-hmm. expect it to be 
uh, you know, we've said that in the past and it hasn't come true, but this is, I, I anticipate that these people in charge now will make sure that they are much more businesslike about it in their approach and that they're much more disciplined and that they don't take anything for granted because I think too often last year it was, well, we're good. We're just going to go out and make a play. Uh, you know, we're going to go out and, and do what we do best, which is improvise and, and do what we have to do instead of putting in those extra reps and extra reps and extra work together in the off season and in the months leading up to the season. And I think that showed, especially early in the season, and then it just kind of snowballed oh, yeah. from there. So I anticipate mm-hmm. them putting more effort in. Now, obviously, they got to get healthy. Uh, Jarvis had that surgery on his hip, and uh, Odell's still coming back from his surgery as well. And that's first and foremost. But I do think that they'll put more time in together than they have in previous years. Yeah, so that that was that, that's obviously my concern is you know that they're going to be in you know recovering at least for part of the 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 off season uh you know workouts you know, mandatory or, or or not you know uh and uh whatever uh level of camp that they're in but you know I just want it's just I, I just don't want to see Baker Mayfield throwing all of his you know spending putting this offense in with a bunch of guys that aren't going to be here which is ultimately what happened last year yeah you, so. you know I I can tell you uh with you know good confidence that uh, at least one person is involved with Baker last year has, you know, had to kind of tell him straight up, hey, like, you can't, this can't fly this coming year. This is not going to be the case anymore um, because it's going to cost you your job this time instead of, you know, a, a whole coaching staff in front office. So I think, I think he's been, I think he understands what's at stake here and he'll put the work in necessary. Uh, very, very good uh, news for Browns fans, certainly there, Nick. Uh, last question for you tonight uh, along these lines. It, it appears to be a remarkably deep wide receiver class uh, in the draft. Uh, I know you probably haven't done as much work on these guys. Maybe you have, but as you did the offensive line um, and, and whatnot. But do you have a favorite that might be a nice mid-rounder there that they could, you know, get and uh, that we should keep our eyes on or a couple names you can throw at us? So Jarvis and Odell are both under six feet tall, right? Yeah. Tallest receiver in your roster last year was who? After they cut Derek Willies, was who? Uh, Higgins, maybe? Yeah, Rashard Higgins was your tallest yeah. receiver. So, and I can tell you, Rashard, I'm taller than Rashard. I'm not super tall, but I'm taller than Rashard. So <laughs> what I'm telling you is you could use a big-bodied receiver, right? A guy I really liked who had a really good workout and who was a stud at Wisconsin was Quintez Cephas. Big physical receiver, uh, put up good numbers on the bench, uh, wins the physical 50-50 battles, and always finds the spots to make plays. I mean, he gave Ohio State fits in the Big Ten championship game. He's a a good receiver. He had a great workout. I was very impressed by him. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who was a smaller receiver but put up crazy numbers in the combine, I think he would be good mid-round talent uh, in value. And another guy uh, from the Big Ten to complete the trio of guys who you're not going to hear a lot about who I think have promising futures, Benjamin Victor from Ohio State. You know, Ohio State's receiving core is interesting because you have all these different characters in the last few years. You had the guys like Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, I saw in his pro day and his pre-draft process, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I know he didn't get a ton of balls at Ohio State, but he looked awesome. He looks as good as he looked when he actually got the ball at mm-hmm. Ohio State, and I think he's going to be a good pro, and he turned out to be a good pro as a rookie. Yeah. which was, you know, it was exciting to see for somebody who puts in that kind of work. Victor's path seems to be kind of like that. He was a guy who made plays at Ohio State but kind of flew under the radar. Uh, and I think that based on what I saw in his combine workout, he was complete. 
he didn't put up crazy measurables, but his drills were very effective. He made a bunch of good catches. I think he only had one drop the entire workout. Uh, he was smooth. He was natural, and he has good hands, and, and he runs his routes well. I think he'll make a good transition. He could be a guy that they could go after as well. Peoples Jones, I just love his upside. I think he could be a, a fantastic receiver uh, if he gets the opportunity to become one in the NFL. So if they're looking for the bigger body guys, you go with those guys. You go with some of the smaller ones. Um, Aaron Fuller from Washington had a very good workout. I think he's going to develop into a nice receiver. He's very, very, very uh, natural. I keep saying natural, but that's kind of what you look for in those workouts is, oh, is this sure. uncomfortable for them or are they, do they look like you know they've been doing this for years? Mm-hmm. Aaron Fuller had a great workout, and I think he might be available as well. It is a super deep class. I wanted to see LaVisca Chenault work out. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see that. Uh, because he, you know, pulled out after the 40s. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm interested in him as well. He's an early second rounder, I think. Uh, so I don't know if I, if, uh, if if the Browns would go that direction. But one last guy who showed up on my radar uh, was Kalijah Lipscomb from Vanderbilt, who I had really not spent a lot of time, really any time watching because who watches Vanderbilt football? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> he looked really good in the workout. I mean, throughout, he looked really good as yeah. well. And he was, he was a guy who definitely uh, – caught my eye so he'd be interesting as well and but i don't think they're going to come close to drafting any of the top three guys i had that work out definitely not the top two cd lamb and henry ruggs and, yeah. and and then jerry judy as well i don't think they're going to go after any of those guys denzel mims i think will be a first round pick as well so i don't think they're going to go after him as well but uh, a lot of depth and i think they could have some value there in the second or third round uh, incredible so so basically your answer to that it was uh no, Brad, I actually did do the work on the white too. So. <laughs> well, look, when you're sitting in the stadium for seven hours, you got a notepad. You might have – I have a PDF on a laptop next to me as well. The stadium's dead quiet. You can hear a pin drop in the whole place because it's by that, by, like that by design. And you're not going anywhere else but watching these guys, and you're pretty familiar with them as well. Yeah. It becomes a lot easier to understand who they are, at least from a workout in, uh, in shorts and a little bit of game tape. Yeah, you know, uh, I was going to uh, – uh, no, I won't, won't uh, keep you much longer, but I, I was going to ask you about just the, uh, I mean, how, how many combines have you been to now, Nick? This is my third combine. Okay. How, they, so they changed it, right? They changed yeah. uh, the whole schedule and everything. How was that? I mean, some people liked it. Uh, the people who were on TV liked it uh, because they didn't have to be on TV until the evening, which meant they could go out afterward and uh, fraternize with everybody and, and, and not oh. have to go to bed anytime soon. That's the thing about the combine in India is it turns into like the NFL university. Like everybody's contained within like six or eight blocks. So everything's walking distance. So I'll go to the same five or six bars and the same eight or nine restaurants. So you'll end up at one bar with, you know, for example, you run into Kevin Stefanski at a bar and then, yeah. and then the next bar you, you go and you run into, you know, former Browns assistant GM Alonzo Highsmith, or it might be the same bar, which it was one night for me this year. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you, you, you're in another one and you see Doug Peterson and, and, you know, all kinds of other people. I mean, they're all very contained. So uh, people like to be out late. Um, that's where a lot of information is traded. Uh, I mean, I talked to a good amount of people who, you know, gave me a lot of stuff as well. So it's, you know, they, people stay out late and that's just what happens. And, uh, and so when you, when you go to the nighttime, it's cool because then you don't have to get up early. So everybody on the TV side loved it. But for me, I still have to be up early to get to the 8 a.m. pressers for the uh, prospects every day, as well as the coaches and GMs. So, well, the coaches and
And with that, we're back. Uh, All Eyes on Cleveland podcast. That was the excellent, always on point, always on his game, Nick Shook of Around the NFL uh, and uh, NFL.com. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter at the Nick Shook. Uh, terrific job there in that interview, uh, giving us what we need to know as Browns fans from the Combine. Uh, interesting there at the end as he was uh, talking about the uh, uh, hobnobbing uh, with the uh, uh, all the... Uh, all of the people at the combine and and how everybody was in like a six to eight block radius. Imagine the information being uh, spread in that uh, kind of a setup there. So um, good on him. Uh, Excellent coverage. I mean, as you heard, he just does such an amazing job uh, breaking down uh, the offensive line, uh, tackle position, Guards, uh, he's just on it, and uh, I just feel like I could listen to him forever talk about that stuff. So uh, good on Nick; uh, he was a great guest uh, as always, um, and uh, I will surely have him back again in the future. Couple things uh, before we get up and out of here tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland. Um, I'm Brad Ward. That was our special guest, Nick Shook. So. Um, we know off-season-wise, uh, we did a deep dive a couple episodes ago on the whole Joe Schobert thing. I mentioned it with um, uh, Nick Shook uh, about Joe, uh, you know, and and Andrew Barry, or as he is known now, AB, uh, is now um, let him walk to see what he can get on the open market. And even and Nick agreed with me, and, and I've talked to some people, and we, if you may recall the deep dive we did, Jonathan Peterling got in on it, and I kind of broke down the numbers, and we talked about that. But, I mean, I just feel like he's going to get a bigger figure. I feel like he's going to get maybe even 15 a year. That may be a bit of a stretch, but over 14 and there's no way the Browns were going to pay that. Uh, but they have left themselves because of that and what's they won't be getting back at safety. Um, I don't trust uh, Sheldrick Redwine to start at either safety position yet. They just have a lot of holes there that they need to address. Um, let's pivot final topic here tonight to the and we started to talk about it in the interview, but to the offensive side of the ball with these holes, right? So on the offensive side of the ball, certainly wide receiver is not a hole. We know that uh, running back is not a hole because they're going to uh, tender uh, Kareem Hunt and you have the one and only fabulous Nick Chubb. But uh, on the uh, wide receiver position, we know we have Jarvis, uh, we know there's uh, um, 
he Jarvis Landry has been spectacular. He's a leader of this team. I want him to go nowhere, but he he did could not avoid uh, off season surgery, um, and will now come back from that surgery, rehabbing his way probably through a good portion of the uh, program, the off season program. So, um, and then Odell Beckham Jr. Also, surgery due to miss most of the offseason program. I don't know, you know, if he's going to be there every day, uh, leadership, if Stefanski's been able to get through him, through to him like that, but it's not mandatory. Uh, the CBA is not final. There's no new language with that. So I, I don't know what um, will happen. I would guess that he probably plays it similar to the way he did last year, healthy or not. Uh, certainly if he's not healthy, I, I don't expect to see him there. But if he is healthy enough to participate, we may only see him for a couple days until mandatory uh, camp picks up. Uh, but, or so I should say, uh, that leaves us with this same situation with Baker Mayfield as last year, right? He spent the and, and I talk and we just talked about this with Nick, but I just want to elaborate on this on why this is so important. So he spent Baker Mayfield, being he spent the entire off season program working with guys that weren't in his offense, and and one of those main guys was Higgins. So at the time, it made sense, but when the, you know, as it played out, he ended up in Freddie Kitchen's doghouse, couldn't get out, couldn't see the field. So all that time he spent on the field with him, wasted. As Nick said, the Derek Willies of the world, the Jalen Strongs of the world are gone once Jarvis and OBJ are there. So the time spent on installs. Uh, so Baker Mayfield installing the offense, walking through it, breaking it down, learning the playbook, installing the next phase of the playbook, installing the next phase of the playbook, then uh, you know eventually getting pads on, timing, routes, all that stuff that was missed last year because Jarvis was on a bike a lot and... OBJ was not there a lot and even when he was there wasn't fully participating as we learn now uh, because he was basically injured from Jump Street so the problem here for me is well the problem is evident the solution here for me is you have to have wide receivers that can contribute and for will for sure be a part of this offense this fall come September so for me that's number one step one we talked about it with Nick this wide receiver class is deep and loaded you can get for multiple people say it you can get a special guy in the fourth or fifth round browns have to do it 
Browns have to do it, have to address it, make him a part of that uh, core. Uh, he can learn from the best. But more importantly, during the offseason program, during installs, during all the stuff I mentioned, training camp, leading up to preseason games, all that, the player, player X, that they drafted wide receiver in, so let's say the fourth round, is on the field with Mayfield, and he's not going anywhere. He's a stud. You know he's your third wide receiver when everybody's healthy, but if everybody's not healthy, he can step in and play the two, maybe the one. Uh, you can move him around the field. He's involved in the offense. So the install process, the the rhythm is not all being wasted on guys who are fighting to make the very, very fringe of the 53-man roster. That can't happen. It can't be... You can't install your offense and run everything with guys that are fighting for that last spot. So counterproductive. Think of all the time wasted. Think of the reps wasted. And I I don't think that... Uh, Kevin Stefanski um, is like Freddie Kitchens in that way in any way, shape, or form. I think that he is smarter, more organized. I could go on, but but I, I, there's no need to. That says it all right there. Uh, now, does he the was he the guy I wanted? No. Was was is he for sure the answer to everything? No. But. Um, smarter and as Nick very well said in our interview uh, things just seem a little more buttoned up uh, with Stefanski Uh, and uh, this is how uh, we address the wide receiver problem and the rep problem or the practice problem so to wind it down there you got to get that wide receiver deep Fourth, fifth round. We know they're loaded there. Option number, not option number, uh, but stage two of solving this issue is either bring back Higgins, fresh start him, which they have told him they would bring him back if the price is right. I don't know what he's going to get on the market. Uh, really, he was robbed of a season last year. Um, well, I'll take that back. I, I don't know if it was all on him or, or Freddie, but the disconnect there caused problems. And he was the one guy that we kept saying in the preseason, oh, you know, at least Hig is out there, right? At least Hig's out there. At least Baker's hitting Hig, and they look good together. You know, they're going to be on the field together come game week. Not so much. Uh, And so those reps all went to waste. Uh, Let's very quickly. Here's your top 10 wide receivers available in free agency. And obviously the Browns can't spend at that position anymore, really. So... um, they already have allocated so much money to that the the wide receiver position, but there are some names that you could bring in. Um, 
what do the Browns miss when it comes to the wide receiver position? Uh, the guys that Nick named in the interview, if you missed it, go back and listen. Big guys. Big size. Strong. Athletic. Uh, the Browns miss size in their wide receiver room. They have a little bit of a shrimpy wide receiver room when your one and two are Beckham, Landry, Landry, Beckham, right? So uh, the other option then is uh, you could go for speed. Uh, The polar opposite, you could go for a more traditional slot wide receiver, uh, the smaller guy, the guy uh, that uh, is uh, quick in short, uh, quick in short areas, short spaces, uh, gets himself open on drags underneath, you know, uh, stop routes, uh, all that stuff that gets you first downs uh, on the biggest plays of the game. Uh, you know, Landry certainly can do it. Beckham can certainly do it. Uh, but having another guy with tremendous speed would help. Uh, and not only just for that reason, but for the main reason of my entire argument I'm talking right now is that um, that this guy, another guy, so you draft one and I think you bring one in in free agency and you make sure that you have two guys that A, know they have a roster spot or you know we know they have a roster spot or or the royal we <laughs> has the uh, knows that he has the, the roster spot uh, and that they're gonna be here and contribute and can play. So when OBJ's on the bike, when Jarvis is on the bike, and Baker's working on installs and reps and everything else, that entire offense is getting prepared. They're doing so with a couple guys wide receivers that are gonna be there on sunday that can contribute on sunday that is huge the wasted the amount of wasted repetitions and time spent with guys that never even had a chance to see the field on this offense is just the fact that he thought he could do that is very arrogant in retrospect on Freddie Kitchen's part. How can you think that you can install your entire offense with a bunch of guys that aren't going to be there in the end and plug and play two other guys? I know he was a bit limited. It was his first job. But here's what I'm saying. Live and learn from this situation for the Browns. Okay? Uh, Amari Cooper, A.J. Green, Emmanuel Sanders... Um, what? Uh, Robbie Anderson, Randall Cobb, Brashad Perriman, name from the past. Philip. Now here's where we get to some guys, maybe right? Philip Dorsett, F- Devin Funches, big, strong, physical wide receiver. Nelson Aguilar, eh? Demarcus Robinson, speed, 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 speed. That's just a couple guys to name. Uh, for instance, wouldn't probably command massive huge contracts the the browns have some room to work with let's make sure you have a draft pick uh in this very deep wide receiver class and a free agent wide receiver in here taking the reps 
all preseason long. Otherwise, it's just history repeating itself, and it's a waste. You can't waste it. You can't do it. Make sure they're guys that are going to be here and contribute if Jarvis and OBJ aren't out on the field. The next guy running off that sideline should be the guy that worked with them all summer long. That has to be the case. You have been listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Hope you enjoyed. You can listen to all of our episodes where all popular podcasts are found, uh, including iTunes, Google Play, Speaker, Speaker, pardon me, SoundCloud, uh, Radio.com, among others. Uh, we will uh, be published tomorrow morning at USA Today Sports Media Group's The Browns Wire. Dot com And a huge thanks to our guest tonight. He was terrific. Hopefully we'll have him back. Uh, way to break down everything from the Combine. Uh, the one and only Nick Shook. Follow him on Twitter at TheNickShook. Uh, he writes for Around the NFL at NFL.com. Uh, for Mikey, I am Brad Ward. Hope you enjoyed. We are out. Shine on me until my heart stop. Go ahead and envy me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me. Either the love with the underdogs on top, and I'm gonna shine on me until my heart stop. Go ahead and envy me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me. On the grill of my low rider, guns on both sides, right above the gold wires. I four five them, killing nigga on my song and really do it. That's the true meaning of a ghost rider. 10G to take your daughter out of Air Forces. Believe you me, homie, I know all about losses. I'm from Compton, where the wrong colors be cautious. One phone call, I had your body dumped in Marcy. I stay strapped like car seats. Been banging since my little nigga Rob got killed for his Barclays. That's 10 years, I told Pooh in 95. I'll kill you if you try me for my Air Max 95s. Told Banks when I met him, I'm a ride. And if I gotta die, I'd rather homicide. I ain't had 50 cent when my grandmama died. Now I'm going back to Cali with my Jacob on. See how time flies. the underdogs on top. And I'm gon' shine on me until my heart stop. Go ahead and envy me. I'm Raps MVP. And I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me. Either the love with the underdogs on top. And I'm gon' shine on me until my heart stop. Go ahead and envy me. I'm Raps MVP. And I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me. From the beginning to the end. Losers lose, winners win. This is real. We ain't got to pretend. The cold world that we in. It's full of pressure and pain. Enough of me, nigga. Now listen to gang. Used to see 5 0, throw the crack by the bench. Now I'm fucking with 5 0. It's all starting to make sense. My mom's happy she ain't gotta pay the rent. And she got a red bow on that brand new bench. Waiting on shot money to land, sitting in the range. Thinking how they spent $30 million on airplanes when his kids starving. Pockets going and Brenda still throwing babies in the garbage. I wanna know what's going on, like I hear Marvin. No school books, they use that wood to build coffins. Whenever I'm in the booth and I get exhausted, I think, what if Marie Baker got that abortion? I love, love you, my dogs on top. And I'm gonna shine on me until my heart stops. Go ahead and be me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me. Either the love with the underdogs on top, and I'm gonna shine on me until my heart stops. Go ahead and be me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me.